0: listener Hi and welcome back to Broadsheet Sydney around town. I'm Emma Joyce, Broadsheet's features editor, and I host this brief audio guide to Sydney. One of Sydney's award-winning gin makers has opened up its Marrickville warehouse space as a tasting room with flights of gin and cocktails, including bee's knees and mandarin gimlets. I visited on the weekend and snacked on AP Bakery bread and anchovies, and I tried the Negroni and a Yuzu mandarin seltzer. It's a fun and buzzy environment. I also felt like I was sat inside a Negroni because it's painted in this deep red, which I love. and also reflects off a copper sill. It's a really cool space. So I'm so happy to say we've got founders Felix Clark and Karina Kovner in the studio today to share how Esther Spirits got started and what's up their sleeves for the future. How long have you been operating out of the Marrickville space that you've now kind of swung open the doors to welcome other people into?
1: Eight weeks ago, we opened the distillery door, which was what we call our pop-up uh, pop-up bar and tasting room. And that's where, as you said, you can actually uh, interact with our staff and our drinks and our products in the distillery space rather than a, a designated drinking zone. That uh, element has, uh, has only been in operation for a short amount of time. Uh, go back another almost 12 months to October last year, and uh, that was when we started production in that site uh previous to that we were doing what's called contract distilling so uh, some friends of ours were making our, our alcohol for us down in melbourne bought all of our products up to uh, sydney in october but um go back another 2 years i, I guess two years, 2 years and um that was the when we t- site.
0: took the site on yeah it's in a perfect location if you enjoy drinking gin or just like going a little bit of a crawl around those breweries in the area you've got poor tom's not too far away and obviously, places like um, Wildflower around the corner—a really awesome place. So when I was sat there, I saw that some people were just walking by to see if they could take a seat, and they could, which is amazing. It really felt like it was a bar. You haven't made it feel too much like it's a salador. It feels like somewhere where I'm going to be served at the table. I'm going to have a really decent amount of time with the person serving me, who will explain to me. What I'm tasting. What went into creating the space?
2: When we were concepting Esther Spirits Distillery, we really wanted to take people behind the scenes into like an artist workshop. That was really the design brief that I really wanted to work with and play with. Both my parents. My dad is a performer or was a performer in the circus. He was a fire eater and a clown, and my mum was his prop assistant. And I grew up with a lot of artists around and in workshops and we would have dinner in there. If mum was making a flying contraption for my dad's theatre show, that's kind of, we would have dinner around there. And so um, I couldn't understand why a lot of the distilleries we go to, everyone's cordoned off around a gate to look at a still. Yeah, I just found that kind of a little bit removed and a little bit boring. So we wanted to make this place really sumptuous and really textured and layered and like this crazy artistic workshop. So all of our personal, we've got a lot of personal art in there from friends and family and yeah, a lot of stuff that's really dear and precious to us. And we wanted to create a space that was really inspiring, not just to the consumers, but also to the people that work there. And so that's why we wanted it really colourful and really inspiring. So it's a really enjoyable place to work and and hopefully a really enjoyable place to come and visit as well. And also on a budget it's a really smart way to use one site it's going to be a while until we can design a bar upstairs and so we thought we would try and cross-pollinate between the production space and the hospitality side of things and and merge them together
0: what was it about gin that made you want to create your own
1: yeah look for me um I guess my journey with alcohol started, uh, when I was, when I was quite young and, and started with, with obvious excess and and binge drinking, you know, through the end of school and whatnot. And then my hospitality career started shortly after that. And, and I've worked everything from, you know, five-star hotels to dirty nightclubs and everything in between. And most recently, Karina and I had, uh, couple of casual dining venues where we we did serve alcohol as well so i've always had a very keen interest in the in the service of alcohol uh my family own and operate a, a very small um boutique winery in the central ranges in oberon so uh i've done vintage every year with my father on on the uh on the vineyard and and have a really keen interest in in both wine and and certainly through my hospitality career have have been in and out of almost every category of, of spirits from whiskey to gin to vodka and uh I guess my, my distilling journey started about, uh, 11 years ago now where a a friend of mine and I were, were up late one night and and discussing a bottle of vodka that, that he'd made himself. And and I said, it was absolute rubbish. and, And he said that I couldn't do better. And so the next day I went out and bought myself a little, uh, a little home brew still from, uh, from the local brew shop and, and literally started distilling every single day. And, uh, at the time, Karina and I were very heavily into, uh, our Negronis. And so for me, it was, um, it was not just about producing vodka and taking all the flavor out. I wanted to put more flavor in and, and, uh, gin is, um, is all about flavor and, and the balance of flavors and how those flavors interact. So I started making, uh, making a lot of gin and, uh, and, you know, I was doing my own fermentation and then distilling all of that. Sliding the gins and negronis across the table to Karina, who's um, I sort of say is my my palate and my nose. And she was sliding them back and saying back, back you go and start again.
2: I think it's also important to note we had a bakery at the time in Bonnet Junction. So fermentation, you know, we were already playing around with it. So we were making our own bacon, smoking our own butter, doing a French pastry program and supplying over 35 venues around Sydney. I have no idea what inspired Felix because we were so busy. You know, we had over (laughs) 45 staff at the time and had two trucks on the road. I mean, we were really very much a small business.
0: This was the Bellagio. Bellagio Cafe and the tuck shop, yeah. Yeah,
2: And we're just gripping on with everything we had to keep these operations afloat. And yeah, Felix at the time as well as mastering croissants and sourdough um, bread was like, "I am going to start making gin because why not?" <laughs> I was like, "Well, you're bloody mad. We have enough on our plate." But you're like,
0: "Here's a long list of why not." Yeah. Here's okay. A li- yeah, go yeah. For yeah. It.
2: I was, I was very much rolling my eyes for a long time, and he kept bringing gins, and I was like, "Yeah, they're lovely." And Felix kept telling me it was the best gin in the world, but then he actually won the best gin in Australia, so I had to eat my cynicism <laughs> so to speak
1: i think i think in that regard also for karina and i it's always our, you know everything that we've done has always been about that spirit of creation you know mm-hmm. whenever we we are cooking or doing anything in our cafes or presenting a plate of food or a drink to someone we we always do several iterations before we're happy with it so it becomes about that quest for perfection whether in in balance of flavors in presentation and and everything else so i think um that certainly has a, a strong hand to play in, in everything that we've done from hospitality to, to now back into hospitality and the production of the drinks.
0: Do you still have a love of the Negroni?
1: I, Negroni is still my favourite drink and it's um it's not often you don't see me without a Negroni on a Friday night.
0: So what makes a perfect Negroni for you?
1: For me, it's about balance and I think that's what we've tried to emulate and and dictate in our bottled Negroni that we use. Um, I think too many people are just searching for that really bitter edge on a Negroni, whereas I think it's got to be that perfect combination of sweet uh, from the vermouth and the bitterness from the Campari and obviously that really strong underlying flavour of juniper and, and, and dry spice from from the gin. So as with food or, or any other cocktail or anything else, it's, it's about that balance. You want, you want that beautiful sweet entry from the, from the vermouth and then you want that, that gin and, and beautiful flavour compounds coming through from the spirit in the middle and then that sort of clenching bitterness from the Campari on the back of the palate.
0: I do love a Negroni, so you're you're speaking to the right person already.
2: <laughs> but I think, in simple terms, though, when we did our research on Negronis, it does really come down to like if I was to put it in layman's terms, like almost seventy five percent comes down to the quality of the vermouth. Yeah, give me used- away the
1: secret. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's no
2: secret. And I think the reason that our Negroni has um, is so popular, it is really soft, it is really balanced. There are so many terrible Negronis out there and people I talk to tell me that they're so bitter that they're undrinkable. And bitter if it's well-balanced should be really glorious and really almost like palate, you know, awakening. And so I think, yeah, when it's used badly, it's it gives it a bad rep and that was a little bit devastating to us because I think a glorious Negroni is something fabulous. Yeah. yeah. Oh, me too. Yeah.
1: And I think if you're going to make a cocktail out of only three ingredients and they're all booze, make sure that they're all top quality. Don't know if we should be naming names on here, but if you're going to use Gordon's and Chinzano as your base for your Negroni, you're in store for a pretty average Negroni because it's, um, you know, let's elevate all of those experience. Let's look for that element of difference and the, the, that better flavor that, that's going to elevate that end product.
0: Let's go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love to talk about the Bee's Knees. Mm,
2: absolutely a ridiculous cocktail and a labour of love. And I hate it more than anything because it takes so much time. But it's, um, <laughs> I could almost go so far as to say I think it's probably one of the most unique bottle cocktails in Australia. So it's uh, Yuzu Amushu Lemon Honey and our Navy Strength Gin. And then we put it inside of a beeswax-lined bottle. So, as the alcohols sit inside, they suck and draw all the fats and lipids out and they interact with the contents of the cocktail. And they just give the cocktail this really unctuous, incredibly deep honey velvet mouth finish um, without us adding too much sugar to it. It has oiliness to it, but it has implied sweetness with the addition of the beeswax as well as honey in the cocktail. So, there's, it's super complex. It's really interesting. And I think the beauty of the product really lies in its provenance is each batch of wax that we buy in is completely unique and different depending on what the bees are pollinating, what time of year it is. So each batch of cocktail we make will be slightly different um, depending on the batch of wax that we get in and the bottle's reusable. So you could pop a whiskey into it or another gin and it will keep sucking all that flavor out. So it's intellectually very impressive. It's not my favorite cocktail. Like that's the funny thing. I still love a Negroni. Like nothing will, but um, I think it's really interesting, the the um the flavor of it.
0: You can also buy these tasters of your gins. Why should I taste the gins? And what am I kind of hoping that I will taste, especially with your award-winning navy gins?
1: Well, I think I think in the in the gin space, especially we we've suddenly seen this. Incredible influx of new products, and all around the world, people are, are seeking better provenance and and more unique ingredients. And uh, certainly, when I started distilling, as I said, ten or eleven years ago, everyone was suddenly coming to market in Australia with contemporary gins, and they were dialing into these such weird and wacky and crazy flavors. That um, for me, as an old bartender, I really wanted to create a gin that was the average gin. You know, if you're going to make a cocktail at home or a gin and tonic, and you reach for one of my bottles, I want it to work in everything that you're going to present either at home or across the bar. So for me it was very much or very important for the our initial two gins to go back to that London dry style. So juniper and dry spice forward, balance on the palate. We use a lot of macadamia in our gins, which will give you that beautiful creaminess on the palate. Um, but certainly for our first two iterations that that very much that London dry style. Um, the dry which is what we would call our everyday drinker at, at 43%, very much that quintessential London dry style. So juniper, spice, balance on the palate and then this beautiful, elegant lift from the uh, citrus component at the end. Moving on to the Navy, which was judged, uh, the world's best Navy strength in London in 2021 at the world gin awards. Um, I kind of call it the gin geeks gin, just Purely because we're dialing into that real London Dry profile, so huge juniper flavour at the front, that beautiful almost settling component through the middle from the macadamia, and then this crazy roller coaster lift from uh, the finger lime we use as our citrus. So only finger lime in uh, in that gin, and it just gives you this, as opposed to some of the traditional citruses, which are a little bit more pretty and and elegant. The the finger lime adds while it adds a a real citrus note to it, it's more of an earthy sort of stronger Australian type of feel. So I think it's also important to note that with Australian botanicals, you can, you get this beautiful balance of flavor. And I think they're, um, they're very, very hard to use because you, you, there's a very fine line between adding a perfect amount and then turning it into a, what I call a hot soapy mess, which is you just get too much flavor and it it really blows a lot of those profiles out. So certainly for those first two, it was, it was about dialing into the the London dry style. Our latest release, which uh, came out about, um, about six weeks ago is an old Tom. So traditionally old Toms would have been an artificially sweetened gin in the 18th and 19th century. They used to add a lot of sugar and a lot of licorice root and other sweetening agents to mask the uh, the terrible ethanol that they were using at the time. Uh, what we can do nowadays, and and we're seeing a lot more of this happening around the world in the old, old Tom category, is that people are adding a lot of implied sweetness. On the palate and that's due to a different range of uh, botanicals they may use so we use a very clean base ethanol for our for our feedstock which gives us a really beautiful blank canvas to work with and then we layer citrus um lemon myrtle lemon verbena and we also use jasmine flower in that gin and that gives this really beautiful sort of perfumed sweet lift at the end of the gin and 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 i were sort of when we're creating this gin with with Think about what would our ode to Sydney be and, and it's it's about walking the back streets of, of your suburb and you see a fence that's just got this wonderful waterfall of jasmine flowers and you get that amazing aroma and that's sort of, I guess, where we wanted that that flavour profile and that aroma to come from in that gin. So a, a range of those three that we've got at the moment um, and that we use all those as a base for our, our sort of cocktails and mixed drinks.
2: Felix, like with his 20 plus years of bartending, he wanted to take the classics and really elevate them with a slight Australian twist. It wasn't about redefining categories, not yet anyway. For us, it was like coming out, hitting really hard on a global stage. So we want a bartender in Barcelona not to be super alienated by what's in the bottle because it clashes in a Negroni, but to actually be able to use it with also the addition of Australian botanicals. But we found that the all-Australian gins sometimes didn't translate well, in cocktails and we hopefully want to see esther globally we want to be able to see it in bars across the world and um, these were really pitched to a hospitality market first and foremost it's where we feel that the trends are created and then they spread because no one knew what a negroni was 10 years ago at all and they just weren't so it's really funny when we see these little things pop up or you know no one knew what malbec was you know 10 years as well. So yeah, for us, it was really pitching these gins to be hospitality friendly, to be able to be put into the hands of bartenders. Australian, but not only Australian, because we just feel that um, whilst those gins are incredible and nuanced, sip neat, they just didn't sit well in that cocktail category. And that's kind of how we drink. Our gins are always in cocktails.
0: Which is the bottle you reach for the most at home?
1: Oh, look, I, I, if I'm making cocktails at home, I'll always reach for the Navy Strength just because, not because of the alcohol content, but because with that extra alcohol, we can put more flavor in. So we've got an elevated botanical load in there that when you mix with those traditional ingredients like citrus or sugar, they still shine through. So the cocktail that you make with our Navy Strength will still have that that beautiful London dry backbone of juniper and spice and, and citrus. Um, I think certainly for a for quintessential sort of London or English style gin and tonic, it would be our, our dry gin, I think.
2: I don't drink gin and tonics. It, the, the bottle we rate for most at home is the Negroni bottle. We have six on hand always. There's one, one in the freezer, yeah, five on the back shelf. It's the most drunk thing in our household, truth be told.
0: Yeah. Now you have this cabinet of curiosities, I'm going to call it, which is filled with all sorts of items that you would expect to find in a bottle shop, let's say, but then also maybe like pieces of jewellery or things you might have, like homewares. I walked away with two with uh, two small glasses, two sip martini glasses, because martinis are having a moment right now. They're having
2: a moment right now.
0: Tell me, what have you got stocked in that cabinet, first of all?
2: So we've got some jewellery and cocktail barware made by my best friend Sidra, who is also our assistant distiller. She, at the time when we poached her and begged her to come and work for us, was trying to set up her own jewellery company And yeah, we worked on this concept of some really beautiful bespoke barware. So she's looking at, um, there's a cocktail stirrer, olive picks, oyster forks made from sterling silver and with precious metals that she's found um, that, yeah, she either sources from beach hunts or she's bought on, on travels that are really, really precious and really, really beautiful. We've got some... Beautiful sculptures and a basket made by um, a family friend from telecommunication wires. So she repurposes them. So she sources them and she's made some like oranges that you can feel, yeah, that she's um, woven together. For me, coming on board as creative director, I kind of felt like there aren't many brands in Australia that are delving into the lifestyle of what it means to come around together and break bread and share drinks. And um, yeah, curating like more of a life, like a really whimsical wacky lifestyle um, part of Esther is really, really intriguing to me. And it's something I really want to dive into next year. This year has been sort of pretty much over as far as I'm concerned, but yeah, I I feel like next year, I would really love to start getting into printing and tablecloths and, um really exploring picnic sets and how we want to see yeah where the places we want to show up in and where we would like to see Esther show up in where your drinks will where be our drank. drinks happen yeah and where the magic happens like a drink on its own is kind of a bit sad but you share it with people and you set the table and you put a candle on it it really becomes something really um, memorable and special so
0: now i had a platter of toast and some anchovies which was just it was perfect with what i was drinking Will you be expanding on what's available in the food menu there?
2: Absolutely. I'm about to actually change the menu next week because Felix has got some cane spirit that we're about to release and some Amaros. So we, I wrote the menu very quickly and we have such limited food capacity. We have a salamander and a sink. That is pretty much our kitchen downstairs until we move upstairs. So yeah, we, we based it on the idea of a spuntino, like a very fancy tomato piece of toast. And then you just add your little bits that you want on top. And then when we move upstairs, we're hopefully going to have a very fancy kitchen where we can play around and get really technical and fancy.
0: There's no slowing you down, basically. There's no no containing (laughs) Esther spirits. I oh, look, not. we're
1: we're pretty ambitious with with our ideas and ideals. I think there's uh, there's a lot to be um, developed. The scalability of a brand like Esther is is really interesting to us both. That that opportunity to to go to a a wider audience and a potentially a global audience, whilst also maintaining a localized hospitality offering. And and I guess that that upstairs part is is where we can really start to to show that and and you know bring bring the locals in as well as well as looking to externalize the brand.
0: This is a very exciting future. For anyone listening who wants to head there this weekend, Esther Spirit's bottle shop and tasting rooms and pop-up bar are all found at 31 Childer Street in Marrickville. The bottle shops open daily, but the tasting room is Friday to Sunday only for now. Correct.
2: There's also bookings. We've just opened up bookings because I just think there's nothing worse than trying to organise a catch-up with six mates, getting an Uber to Marrickville and then not being guaranteed
0: If people want to find more information or book, they can definitely find it at esterspirits.com.au. And that's all we have time for today. Of course, you can stay up to date with what's happening around Sydney at broadsheet.com.au and at broadsheet underscore sid on Instagram. A listener
2: production.